Uh, we are in our sixth message in the series called Always. It's the study of First and Second Peter. Uh, First and Second Peter, of course, is not, not a couple of those uh, books in the New Testament that we always flip to all the time. Uh, sometimes they seem hard to understand, but when you put it in the context of the word always, the way we've been able to do it, it sort of makes more sense to me. So today we're going to keep going with that. Um, today, actually, we move into 2 Peter. 2 Peter. Some have called the book of 2 Peter uh, Peter's Testament book. It's like his story all summed up together. You know, uh, Simon Peter was the guy that was a disciple of Jesus. Then he bombed big time. He denied Jesus while Jesus was going to the cross. Denied, cursed him, acts like he didn't even know him. And then, uh, and, and by the way, it was under incredible pressure from a little teenage girl. And so he sort of bombed big time. And then after it was over, he, he wondered, what am I going to do? And Jesus sought him out. And Jesus asked him, uh, do you love me? <laughs> do you love me? And he was going, oh, I, I'm, uh, and he wasn't going to say, oh, yes, you know I love you. He had just bombed. He said, well, uh, you know, you are my friend. <laughs> Jesus asked him three times. And uh, Peter eventually was in the upper room and the Holy Spirit came on him and his life was changed forever. Peter spent the rest of his life preaching the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then before Peter died, Peter had been persecuted. He ended up being crucified upside down. Peter was a different person. And this letter is sort of his testament. This this second Peter, he's going, okay, guys, I know my time has come. It was sort of like Paul wrote Second Timothy. Well, Peter wrote Second Peter. It sort of was the one that sort of summed up and said, hey, guys, I've got to go to heaven. But here's, here's the things I want you to know. Watch out for those false teachers that are trying to mess up the cross. Secondly, he said, hey, look, guys, hang in there. Don't give up. And he said this, he said, develop your character, grow, grow in the Lord while you've got time. And that's, that's what this book really is about. So today, we're going we're gonna to begin, I want you to join with me, we're going to read from 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to start and read, first of all, verses 3 and 4, okay? His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I, I decided to title this message, Always Under Construction. It's another way of suggesting that we are all personally a construction site that God is working in all the days of our life. Like a building that's not complete. Like a painting that hasn't been finished yet. Like a flower that has not fully blossomed yet. We're under construction. And no matter what anybody thinks of us at any one time in that journey, we know it's a process. We're being shaped we're being sculptured. We're being changed into something that hadn't taken its final form yet, but we're on our way to being there. 
That seems obvious to everybody in the room. Everybody knows we are unfinished works, right? We all know that. I mean, we just look at our life and tell that. We know we have rough edges. We have flaws. We're still growing. We still have a lot of completing to do, especially in the area of developing Christian character. Really, we got a long way to go. I do. <laughs> Look, I may have a degree in theology, in biblical language, but that does not mean I've got a degree in Christian character. That's not something you learn in school. That's something you learn from walking with God over a period of time. I thought about calling this message always growing, but I decided that that didn't really say what Peter was saying. You're going to see that in a moment. I chose under construction because a construction site is usually messy and unorganized and sort of messed up sometimes. It's always inconvenient, always inconvenient. It takes time, it takes lots of time. It involves tearing away the old and putting in the new. It involves, there's work going on. There's hammering and pounding and nailing and measuring and fitting and straining and sweating and even bodily injury that occurs. I'm serious. A construction site is no small matter. And always construction, always under construction seems more biblical to me. Because <laughs> that's how it seems to be with us. Peter is talking specifically about building your Christian character right here, about learning to be like Jesus. And I want to warn you, as, as, as he sort of lets us know, there are two traps that are very easy for us to fall into when we start trying to grow Christian character. I want to just quickly tell you these two traps. The first trap is like us trying to gain Christian character by putting all the pressure on us, be good enough, do good things, do this, do that. So trap number one would be, it's all up to us. Trap number one, nothing could be further from the truth. At its core, being a godly person has nothing to do with doing stuff. At its core, it has nothing to do with doing things. It has everything to do with knowing Jesus and being in relationship with him as a person. We tr if we try to do it by our own self-discipline, we try to do it by our own making sure we get it right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to end up beating ourselves up for failing over and over and over. It's like the law of Moses all over again, all over again. It really has having godly character, doing godly things has nothing to do with doing things. It has everything to do with being in relationship with Jesus. The more that a Christian learns about Jesus, appreciates Jesus, uh, converses with Jesus, spends time with Jesus, the more we grow in godly character. That's the truth. The more a Christian, listen to this, the more a Christian reads the thoughts of Jesus in the Bible, the words of Jesus in red, the thoughts of God in the Scripture, the more we're pulled into knowing Jesus, the more passionate and intimately we can know Him as our God. 
And that develops Christian character. You know, the scripture says, we, you probably can quote it. Maybe your grandmother quoted it when she didn't like the friends you were bringing. First uh, Corinthians 15 says, bad company corrupts good character. That is a true statement. <laughs> Obviously, if you hang around bad people, you're probably going to end up just like them. But the opposite is true too. Good character in someone that you hang around develops good character in you. And if you hang around Jesus and you hang around God, it's going to develop godliness in you. Now, um, when, we, when, we, when we hang around Jesus in prayer, in the Word, we become more like Him. We become more and more like Him. Uh, being in Jesus' presence is really how we become like Him. It's how we grow character in our lives. It's how we please Him. Now, the solution then is not doing things more organized or doing things better or having a lot of good deeds or, or even self-discipline. i got to put my flesh down. Oh, it's not all about that. The solution is drawing near to Jesus, to take time, intentional time, to love him and to know him and to serve him, to rest at his feet. There's a second trap, though, we can fall into. If the first trap is trying to put it all on us, let me tell you what the second trap is. The second trap is whenever we try to accelerate our spiritual growth and do it all quickly. I want to do it now. I want to be, we live in this smartphone right now, download it. <laughs> we want to download godly character from one person laying hands on us at the altar. Shandai, and now we have godly character. Not true. Whenever you try to ripen fruit quickly, it does not taste good. The same is true of the fruits of the Spirit. Christian character can't be right. So the trap number two is this. It must happen fast. If the first trap is we got to do it all by ourselves, the second one is, okay, God, give it to me right now. It's got to happen right now, fast. I don't know if you knew this, but in North America, um, tomatoes, I love tomatoes. <laughs> tomatoes are usually picked green and so they won't bruise during shipping. And then they go to stores or they go to these centers like in Birmingham and they are sprayed with CO2 gas that causes them to turn red and ripen real quickly. Now you and I both know there is no match in the flavor of one of those tomatoes and a vine ripened tomato. Have you ever eaten a tomato that was just beautifully red and you thought, bleh, styrofoam. There's nothing to it. Well, that's true about growing in the Lord. If you try to grow fast, God is not concerned so much in how fast you grow. He's concerned in how strong you grow, how deep your roots are. The moment you open yourself up to Jesus Christ, he begins a work in your life. You may think you've surrendered all your life to him on day one, but you haven't because we only know what we need to surrender as God shows it to us. And God has said, I'm not going to do all that overnight. You and I couldn't handle it if we did it all at one time. Can you imagine if God said, all right, 
this is what I want to do in you, and you got to solve these problems right now. And he handed you a list a mile long. And you, you, you'd go, I'm out. There's no way I can do this. But God is gentle, and he's patient, and he takes time with us. He loves us that much. There'll be struggles. There'll be battles all the way. But the outcome's going to be incredible. You know, in Philippians uh, 1.6, we read this. Many of you probably have quoted this many times in your life. He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. I believe that. That's what Peter was saying. God has given you everything you need. God has given you everything you need to be able to live a godly life. And the Bible says, Peter said it, we read it. He's given you divine promises. Where do you get those divine promises? In God's Word? Well, you just don't absorb God's Word all at once. God's Word reveals itself to you. God's Word is alive. It, 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 it gets to where it does what the Scripture says. It divides between uh, bones and joints and goes down into the marrow and, and, and discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. And as God does that through His Word, you change. I change. We grow. You can't do that overnight. It takes time. You know, it's sort of like the difference between a dandelion and a rose. A dandelion can be here one day, and literally, it is gone the next. But not a rose. A rose spends most of its time in that little bud. You go out there and say, hey, look, there's a rosebud, and it's a rosebud forever. Then all of a sudden, one day, it begins to unfurl one layer at a time, one petal at a time. And then you look at it for, for a good while. You cut it, you put it in a, in a vase, and it's a showstopper. You know why? Because it took a while to make it. It took a while for everything to develop just right. Not like a dandelion who's here today and gone tomorrow. That's what God wants for us. Some of you may have heard this before, but there's a, there's a, a bamboo plant, Chinese bamboo. China, oh, something just fell. See, construction sites are messy. Chinese bamboo, uh, if you were to plant Chinese bamboo out in your yard, the first year you plant it, you water it, fertilize it, it will not grow even an inch. And the second year, it might grow an inch. The third year, an inch. The fourth year, an inch. And you're going, good grief. It must have taken eons for those giant uh, bamboo uh, forests that we've played in before to happen. You know what? But on year five, it can grow 80 feet. And you say, well, good grief. It just, just sat dormant until year five. No, it didn't. You didn't see it, but it was growing down all that time. It was growing down and roots were being established. And only then could it shoot up 80 feet. That is exactly how it is with us, with the Lord. God doesn't want us to shoot up 80 feet immediately, or what we will do is what happens all the time in especially superstars that get saved and they suddenly start, they're, they're going to you know, make a movie or an album or something like that. They're going to be the famous Christian. Boom, they fall. It's happened so many times. Hey, did you hear, do you all remember some of you that are my age, you might remember when Bob Dylan got saved and he did an album called Slow Train Coming? It was a great album, but he's not a believer anymore. <laughs> Boy, we, we, it was like 
Bob Dylan got saved. Let's make him the super Christian. Bob Dylan was a baby. <laughs> a baby in the Lord. But people gave him a record contract as soon as possible. You know what happened? He shot up 80 feet, but there were never any roots. Peggy and I were talking the other day about Keith Green. How many of you remember Keith Green? Oh, yes, Keith Green, prophet of God is what he was. Keith Green, when he first came to Jesus, he, he was already, he signed a contract for, to make, uh, I think, make an album or a record contract when he was age, what was it, Peggy? Um, 11 or 11 years old. He was on To Tell the Truth one time as the youngest guy that Decca Records signed with a, with a rock and roll album contract. But when he got saved, he sort of went away and said, I need to know this Jesus that I'm talking about. And he studied God's word and he made sure he knew where he, what he believed and what he stood on. And then all of a sudden when he came, came out of hiding, he was powerful. Because like the bamboo, his roots went deep. Your root growth downward has got to exceed your growth upward. And there's only one thing that makes that happen. Time. Did you hear that? Time. Maturity does has, have its blessings. Maturity has its blessings. We can't rush spiritual growth. We can't rush Christian character. What we can do, though, is live in a way in wh that we allow the Lord to give us opportunities to learn everything we can every way that we can. Sometimes, that's just awesome. Sometimes, that is very difficult. Sometimes, it even comes from difficulties. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, I'm just going to tell it. When I was a senior in high school, I, had, I started preaching when I was 16 years old. My Baptist church that I went to, awesome church, licensed me as a preacher at 16. Not good. Uh, that, that was just what they did. It was a democracy, so you just voted it. And so they voted me because I, I enjoyed speaking in public. I've always enjoyed moving my mouth. Uh, and so I got invited to some little local, little Christian, a little Baptist and Methodist churches around the county, a little bitty ones out in the country to come preach like, come preach for them. And uh, this place called Big Springs Baptist Church asked me to come preach a youth revival. They had no youth in the church. They just wanted me to come preach so some youth would come to the church. And they were all my friends who went to a different church. And when the revival was over, they went back to our church. So it didn't really work, but they asked me to come, and I was preaching three nights there, and I just had a blast. And uh, I just enjoyed it so much, and I had told them the last night I'm going to preach on, I forgot what it was, I think it was probably the second coming to Jesus. That's generally the one that you get the most people to come to the altar. When you hold them over hell, <laughs> put one foot there and burn their toes, they'll come to the altar. Well, I, that night, this was a country church, and it had, it was a big high ceiling church. It had big tall windows and it was, they had no air conditioning, just had fans, you know, at the top. And so they opened all the windows so that the breeze, it's the summer, the breeze could come in. But we were between two cow pastures. Let me tell you what came in that room. Every horse fly in Clay County came in that room. 
And you know how it is when, you, when you, there's a horse fly or two or three or 20 in the room. It's like dive bombers. It's like Pearl Harbor. It's like the Japanese zeros, wrong everywhere. And so people are doing, they're fanning and they're, you know, hitting at the flies and they are not listening to me. So I decided, because I was such a mature Christian and such a great preacher of the gospel, I was Billy Graham's replacement, no doubt. <laughs> I had just read a book. This is a dangerous thing for a guy my age to have read a book. And the book was called, We've Been Robbed. We have not taken the authority in Jesus that we need to take. And this thing told us that I had authority over all nature. That is not good for nature if I have authority over it. So I stopped in the middle of my sermon and said, okay, folks, uh, we're being distracted by horseflies. I'm going to command them all to leave this building. And they will all leave and we can go on and preach. And I saw my sweet mother in the, on the back row just put her head down. <laughs> because my mother had maturity about her. And I, she wasn't spiritual like me. I was going to demand them. And I did this. I did it. I said, in the name of Jesus. And when I said Jesus, one of those horse flies hit me right in the mouth. I started spitting horse fly everywhere. And everybody did what you are doing right now. They laughed. And Jesus got laughed at too. He did. Because I had declared I had authority. I don't have anything. I have, I have, I have gratefulness that I'm saved. <laughs> That's really all I needed to have. But you know what? I never, I never made that mistake again. I learned something that day. I tell you what I learned to do. I learned to not declare my authority. I learned it that day. And I'm sorry it took that. I'm sure God said, I'd love to get to Mark some other way. And he said, an angel, look, get one of them flies and throw it at his mouth, please. <laughs> Sometimes our growth does come from our mistakes and failures. Listen, I learned next to little when I was very comfortable and things were going my way. But when, when uh, even when I had no opposition from the outside or from my old inside flesh, I didn't learn anything. But brother, what I really remember learning is when I made some big time mistakes, messed up bad because I was faced with having to do something about it. Sometimes we're faced with things that make us uncomfortable or embarrassed or whatever else. But it's God developing and building character inside of us. It's true. And we need to say, God, please teach me. I don't want to have to learn that way. But God, I want to learn. I want to do what's right. I want to learn what's right. That's a real education in Christian character. I, I've got another story. You're probably not going to think a whole lot of me when this is done. But when I was a youth pastor... At this church, I, it was in 1978, I was the youth pastor. I started here in 77. And my first day at work was Tiffany's, the day Tiffany was born. That was my first day at work. My first job was to go see Pastor Ron's new little girl. And I did it really well. Tiff, I waved at you and everything. But I was a youth pastor, and uh, I, I, I uh, had a, a young 
guy that was coming to the youth group, his name was Dennis. And uh, Dennis was sort of, he would come some, he was sort of lackadaisical, he, he sort of had the youth group life and then another life, and he was sort of halfway in, had one foot in and one foot out. And I didn't really like that. I, I had the spirit of David Wilkerson on me at the time. I moved from Billy Graham to David Wilkerson. And uh, I thought I was now, I was the prophet. And so I felt strongly about this. And he, this, this guy, he was, I think it was the summer, it was the summer of 78, and he had gotten a job at a construction crew. And I went up to the construction crew where he was and met him at his lunch. And, you know, that would have been really nice for me to sit down and, like, talk to him. But I didn't. I sat down and says, Dennis, the Lord told me to tell you something. The Lord told me to tell you, if you don't get things right, he is, gonna, he is just going to leave you alone, leave you to yourself. And you know what he did? He said, okay, thanks for telling me. He never showed up again. He never showed up one more time. Never. I, I actually, I, I realized maybe that I had done wrong. I, I lost my influence with Dennis, so I went to him and tried to fix it, but I couldn't fix it. I lost my influence with him. I had to just give Dennis to the Lord and say, God, I'm so sorry that I did that. Please send somebody else to minister to him. But I didn't just lose Dennis. His mom came to our church, brought him and his brother to our church, and she was absolutely devastated that he refused to come anymore because of what I would said to him. And so we lost the whole family. Yes, I did that. I lost the whole family by trying to be the prophet. And you know what? I never repeated that mistake again. I decided if somebody came, if they had one foot in, I was going to work on that foot. I was going to hold on to that foot and maybe try to pull the other foot in instead of telling them, getting mad at them because they didn't have both feet in. I learned, I, I learned that the hard way. And I grew in Christian character by learning that. I'm just sorry it took that. So we don't only grow by discipline, self-discipline. We grow when we spend time with Jesus and we learn his character and we don't always grow quickly. In fact, we really don't ever grow as quickly as we think we will. But we grow when we learn from our mistakes as well as from the incredible people God has put around us. Being under construction is sometimes painful. But God will use that as well. Now, I want us to continue reading. 2 Peter 1 this time I'm going to read verses 5 through 7. Look at this. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities, look at this, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter sort of puts a path of growth and maturity. He sort of gives us this path. It's a way to build Christian character. It's like a step-by-step -step process. And I know it's not as clean and perfect as this. But this is sort of what it looks like. Faith. Add goodness, add knowledge, add self-control, add patience, add godliness, add mutual affection, and add love. Now, let, let, me, let me just tell you, when it said, let's do all this, 
It said, make every effort to do this. And he said, in increasing measure. So I'm not going to get faith all together and worked out and then say, now that that's perfected, I'm going to move on to goodness. No, God is going to let me grow in every one of those areas in more and more. God's going to let me grow and he's going to give me those things in increasing measure. So, so let's just look at, that little, look at that little chart there. Let's say faith, that's when you come to Christ, when you put your faith in Jesus. Why is it important that we add goodness to our faith? Well, let's think about that for a minute. Is it possible for a person to have faith in Jesus and at the same time be known as a really bad person? Well, sadly enough, it is possible that that happens because there are a lot of people that do not show their faith and of course their faith is not worth a whole lot and it doesn't last very long it is possible for someone to fail to live out their faith human nature says that we can believe something and still not do it like I can believe God has forgiven my sin but not forgive somebody else and God has to work on me for that you know God has to say hey wait a minute what are you doing that's why Jesus built the, in the Lord's Prayer, he built this prayer for us, and he said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God is saying, goodness is when you see how God has been good to you, and then you start being like God has been to you to other people. That's called goodness. And see, when you have faith and you start learning about Jesus, you start saying, God, how are you to me? Let me ask you this question. Has God been, like, patient with you? Let's be patient with other folks. Has God been kind to you? Well, then let's be kind to other people. Has God, been, has God blessed you with things? Yes, and then, then let's be generous with other people too. So that becomes goodness in us. Why? Faith leads to goodness when we start getting to know Jesus and start practicing those things. That's pretty serious, isn't it? <laughs> That's pretty serious. That's what mature faith is about. Then the next thing it says is, add to goodness, knowledge. Knowledge. You know, in, in Hosea we read, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. You know, I, I want to tell you what, it's not just brain power that we're lacking. But knowledge is knowledge of Jesus, knowledge of the Holy One, knowledge of God's Word. Knowledge gives us discernment. Knowledge of God's word and God's ways, especially God's word, gives us the ability to discern between right and wrong. You want to grow in knowledge? Well, then start reading your Bible. Hey, go to church. Of course, y'all are here. That's okay. Hey, we got life groups at Kingwood Church that teach the word of God. What an incredible opportunity for you to get in a life group that teaches God's Word and grow and find out what God says. And that way, to your goodness, you won't just say, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm doing good stuff now. Now you can say, now I know why. Uh, the Bible says to, to know what you believe so that you can give a defense of the gospel. When somebody comes to you at work and says, hey, why are you a Christian? You go, I don't know. I, don't know. I, just, went to, I, just, I heard the music was awesome. I felt it, man. I felt it up my knees. I felt it. That's not, so why are you a Christian? Because, and you, and you say, this is what God's Word says, because I was lost. I was lost, and this is what Jesus did for me. And you grow in the knowledge of God by getting, getting into His Word and knowing what His Word says. 
you ever feel like you know all there is to know about God, we're up a creek. Look, I have known Peggy for almost 40 years. We've been married for almost 39. And I, <laughs> yes, amen. But I want to tell you something. I still haven't learned all there is to know about that incredible lady. All right, and she's human. She's limited. What about our God? What about Jesus? He's the creator. You think we lack some things that we know about him? You think maybe there's some things we could learn if we hung around him for a while? All right, we need to add then knowledge to our goodness and goodness to the faith so that our faith deepens and we're able to give an account of what the gospel is and, and we're able to let people see Jesus in the way we treat other people. That is serious stuff. But then we, we, uh, we've got even further we can go. The Bible says to add, not, to, add to knowledge, we add self-control. Now, self-control is this virtue in a person who learns to master especially their sensual desires. That's really what that word has to do with. It's, uh, it can't be developed by our culture, duh, and by the media because they're going to already tell you, they're going to tell you sex outside of marriage is just normal. And you can say, well, that's how, how it is in America. Well, that's not how it is with God. That's not how it is with God. And self-control is when we say, God, I'm going to do it like you say. I'm going to do what you say. That's what self-control is. That's why Paul said, flee sexual immorality. First Corinthians. He said, flee sexual immorality. Why did he say that? He said that because he knew that the culture, like it was in the Roman Empire, presses us to, to, to do things because it's, it's sensual to us in our society. It's sensual in our culture, and it should be normal and accepted. That's not what God says. And self-control says, you know what? I'm going to do this. I've made a commitment to God, and I'm going to walk that commitment to God. I'm not going to be blown away by every wind. So how do you know that? By God's Word, by hanging around God's people. Then the Bible says to add to self-control, add patience or perseverance. Perseverance is sort of like patience or endurance. You know what happens? Sometimes in our Christian walk, this is, this is always what happens. We add to our faith, goodness, and we start being like changing and people notice there's a change in us and we start growing in God's word and, and, and all, and then we start uh, we grow in, in self-control. We start standing up and say, no, I'm not going to live like the rest of the world lives. And then all of a sudden, everybody's against you. Oh, you're just a Bible thumper. Look at you. You're just legalistic because you won't, you won't, believe, you, you won't believe what the culture says about things. And they, they accuse you of those things. And then all of a sudden, you say, oh, no, nobody likes me. And Jesus goes, uh, listen, if they loved me, they're going to love you. And we're going, I know, but God, I thought I was getting better. Why aren't people noticing I'm really a good person? Because they're blind. And endurance says, patience says, that's not going to matter to me. I'm going to hang in there and do what God says. That's what, we, that's what happens when we add endurance or patience. And look at the next one. Then it says this. I love this. Add to patience godliness. You know, we think about godliness being like, oh, holiness, that kind of thing. 
Holiness is a great word. Let me tell you what godliness is. Godliness is not acting like a god. Godliness is that you submit everything you do, think, and say to God. He gets to rule you. You get to represent him because he rules you. A godly person is a person who has surrendered everything to him. A godly person. That's what that is. That doesn't mean that we just uh, somehow externally comply with certain rules that make us godly. Uh Uh-uh. It's that we know him and our heart is saying, God, I want to be what you want to be. I want to be God. I want to represent you in this world no matter what it brings me. Godliness. And then look at the next one. The next two sort of may sound similar, but he divides them and so will I. The next one is mutual affection. Mutual affection. The mutual there it's talking about are other members of the body of Christ. I've got news for you and I want everybody to listen. You will never grow in Christian character in a vacuum by yourself at home alone. Christian character is developed when you are in relationship with God and with God's people. That is how we learn Christian character. A person doesn't grow up in a home and learn Christian character by not watching their parents. They learn from their parents. They learn from relationship. That's why it's so important. That's why we read this. I want to make sure that that you see it. Hebrews chapter 10. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 25 tells us that the house of God among God's people, being a part of the body of Christ, is part of God's plan for us. And you know, they started, they noticed in the scripture, he noticed when, when the writer of Hebrews wrote this, that there were Christians that were sort of getting lazy saying, I don't need to worry about God's house. I don't need to worry about being in church. Because they had gotten out of the habit of it too. And he said, no, 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 this isn't the time to get out of the habit of that. You need each other to spur you on to do what? To grow, to mature. You need each other. You need each other. And the end of the process is the highest point of it. Add all of that, agape love. As we walk closely with Jesus and we grow in increasing measure, The ultimate goal is for us to walk in the agape love of Jesus Christ. Agape means self-sacrificing, the highest kind of love. It's the love Jesus showed when he died on a cross for us. That's agape love. Now, I'll remind you about what happened in Peter's life. When Jesus rose from the dead and Peter knew he had denied Christ and Jesus met him and Jesus spoke to him and said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you agape me? And Peter goes, uh, he knew he couldn't say he did. Jesus asked him three times and he never said he agape loved him. Because Peter knew he, he wasn't there yet. But at the end of his life, Peter definitely agape loved him because he died on the same kind of cross Jesus did, upside down. He gave his life. He sacrificed himself. Peter learned that the highest, the the crown jewel of Christian character is agape love.
So today, what he's done from the scriptures, he's sort of given us this step-by-step thing that really isn't like a step. It's a condition. God, I'm ready to grow. I'm ready to grow, and I know I can't grow by myself, and I also know I can't, like, make it happen quick. So, God, how am I going to do that? And today he calls us and says, tell you what, if you'll take the Word of God, if you'll take the Bible I gave you, and you'll take the people I put around you, and you'll learn from your mistakes, and you'll learn by hanging around with me and spending time with me, tell you what you'll do, you can grow. I like verse 8. It says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, it will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want my life to count for God. I do. I think you want your life to count for Him. He wants your life to count for Him. Who in this room would want to be ineffective and unproductive in your Christian life? Well, the God who created you is saying to you this. You can't do it alone. You got to let me do it in you. And you can't do it fast. You got to give me time. You got to make an intentional decision to make every effort, as Peter said. It's like being in a ship, a little boat on the Sea of Galilee, And the wind is blowing, but if you don't put the sail up, your ship's not going anywhere. How do you make every effort? You put the sail up. You get in his boat, and you put the sail up. He's not going to put the sail up for you. Today, I'm going to ask you to put the sail up. I'm going to ask you today, as we have an altar time in a moment, I'm going to ask you to say, you know what, I'm tired of just spinning my wheels and saying, okay, I'm saved, now what? Okay, I've done a good deed, now what? God, I want to get on this step thing you got. I want to ultimately have your kind of love. I want to make my life count in this world. I'm going to ask you today to put your sail up. You, you can't, you're not going to come down here and grow. You're going to come down here and say, I'm putting my sail up. I'm going to let him take me where it takes me. God, I want to say, God, I give you permission. Do whatever it takes in my life. I give you permission. Do what you need to in my life because I want to grow. Truthfully, we're all under construction. So maybe this is what I need to do. You know? Maybe that's what we need to do. And notice the word on there is caution. Caution. I'm not God. I'm not perfect. I'm not going to be the person that you can always watch because God is working in me too. So let's just put this under construction thing on and let's say, God, I give you, I give you the, the right. I, I'm under construction. Now, God, do the work that has to be done and take as long as you need. That's what I want. We're always under construction. We're being shaped and sculpted into something that has not yet taken its ultimate form. We're not finished yet. But it doesn't mean it can't happen. He's shown us the pattern. If we allow him to work miracles in us and through us, then eventually we can be like Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will, with me. and I'm going to ask our prayer team, if you'll just come and scatter across the front. This is a very, uh, this is a very 
important altar call for some people in the room. God is saying to you, you've, you've been spinning your wheels long enough. Come down right now. I'm going to ask you to come to one of these people and just say, pray with me. I'm putting my sail up. Pray with me. I'm ready to move. I'm ready to grow. I'm surrendering and saying, God, let me grow. I'm going to ask you to come right now in Jesus' name. Would you? As they sing, let's, let's go on. Would you stand, everyone? Would you come? Would you come and let someone pray with you right now? Would you come and come with us? Come on, just step out right where you are and come and find someone at the front to pray with. Would you? Finish what you started in me, Jesus. Finish what you started.